I think I've mentioned it before. I, I think I've mentioned it at least once that, that I love parts of hiking. I love all of hiking. I love parts of hiking. I, I love the scenery when I'm hiking. I, I love the idea of getting exercise. I, I love being outdoors. I love the pace of the wilderness. I love the relative quiet. I love the sounds of the forest. I love the sense of accomplishment when I reach the end of a hike. It's just that pesky hiking part that, you know, the, the actually walking uphill for long periods of time that sometimes it can make me want to stay home and, and watch Netflix, that, that part of it. But yet I've gone on a lot of hikes. I, I've, I've pushed myself through that idea and I've, and I've gone out on a lot of hikes. In fact, uh, a number of years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, I went out on a two-nighter and I, I was in a lot rougher shape uh, then. I, I, yeah, I was in pretty brutal shape, and, but I'd been hit by a car when I was walking down the road and I was wanting to try to challenge myself by reclaiming my life by going on this two-nighter camping trip by myself. So I got dropped off at the base of some mountain in, I think, Maple Ridge. I think it was like Golden Ears or something like that. I'm not too sure. With my, with my very not good camping gear and headed off by myself into the wilderness. And as I was going up, I, I reflected on two things that I'd been told. The first was that for someone in the shape that I was in, this was going to be a brutally hard hike. I'd, I'd heard that. And the second was roughly how long someone in, in half-decent shape should be able to do it. I can't remember what it was, like five hours or seven hours. And so as I'm going up, in a fraction of that time, and after a relatively pretty easy go of it, I saw the, the hill in front of me as I'm going up. It crested. And I thought, man, I'm good at this hiking thing, right? Like, you know, looking back, I'm like, pfft. I nailed that. So my, my plan wasn't to go all the way to the summit and camp up there because wind and, and all that stuff. So I'm like, oh, I'll just, you know, pitch camp here. And, and in the morning, I'm going to get up and, and summit, right? And, and my plan was to go up there and, you know, I brought my Bible and I was going to go up there and read my Bible and I was going to pray and I was going to journal and really do a lot of spiritual things, right? Because kind of a mystic. So I was going to, you know, that, this was my day. I had this vision of this perfect day. So I go to sleep and I wake up the next day and I leave my tent and all my camping gear behind and I start wandering up and up and up. And I'm like, man, this is taking longer than I thought it would. And even though I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the tent anymore and all the gear, it was actually getting harder and harder to get up this hill. And, and then I, I finally realized, it took me a while, I'm not so quick on the uptake, that I didn't actually see the summit yesterday, that it was, in fact, way, way in the distance was the summit, and it took me hours and hours, and I got lost, and it was hard to get up to the top of this mountain. And finally, by the time I got there, I had like 15 minutes, I figured, to like sit, read something, jot something down in my journal, right? Get as much spiritual stuff as I could into this perfect day that I thought it would. Thank God that I didn't die already. And then turn around and go home, and at least back to my little campsite, which, by the way, I nearly killed myself getting to because I got lost again on my way down. It was brutal. But it was a great experience. I, I suggested everybody do that. But just as any other time that when I, when I goof up or I do something in life, I realize 
that I, I am able to learn something from it. And this, I actually learned two lessons. First lesson, don't hike. That was that, just don't, just don't bother to going on hikes and, and this will never happen. But the second lesson that I learned was, I, I'm not done until I'm done, right? Like it, it, the thing isn't finished until it's actually finished. See, I think we do this all the time, or at least I know I do. And generally speaking, people, we can do this a lot of time. I, I see this in, uh, I saw a Facebook post the other day, and it was generally, uh, I think it was geared towards people, you know, maybe coming out of high school or in college or just starting a career or something like that. But it went something like this. Just imagine your life 10 years from now. Great career. It's Friday night. You know, you're sitting on the couch with your spouse, watching your favorite TV show. Kids are sleeping softly. You made it, right? You've, you've arrived. All the hard work was worth it. Just put life on cruise control, and the rest of the way is going to be smooth sailing. How many of you know that that's not how life works? Like it is that, that couldn't be a further picture of the truth. But that goes for, for our, our regular day-to-day lives. What about our spiritual lives? I know for me, when I think about uh, getting complacent with my spiritual life, or, or when I think about some of the things where I, I'm trying to do, I, it's appealing to me to kind of let it go into cruise control, to allow myself to coast through. I mean, last week we talked about, if you weren't here, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And what we meant by that is Paul was talking about how as it pertains to salvation, there's, it, it just matters about Jesus. That's all that we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's divine mathematics. So if I already have everything, then why in the world would I want to bust my butt to do or try to achieve anything else? And so here, for the, for the rest of the time where I'm going to be up here, and as we read through the passage, here's the idea that I want us to have rolling around in the back of our minds. Because there's two different things at play here that Paul's talking about. First, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, and then in chapter 3, verses 12 to 4, 1, which is what we're going to be looking at today. And this is the idea that we will, and if you, this is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then it doesn't apply to you, so you don't have to worry about this. But if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we will win the race, but we still need to run. We will win the race, but we still need to run. See, Paul's using this, this uh, ever-present racing imagery. So we're going to flesh that out as we go, but have that in mind. So if you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3, it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, we have Bibles. If you don't have one in the foyer, please help yourself. They're our gift to you. Uh, grab your phone, grab your tablet, or I will be talking. And so you can just hear me uh, walk my way through it. But we're going to see what Paul has to say about finishing the race or the climb or, or whatever sort of journey that we find ourselves on as an illustration of finishing this life. So verse 12, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. There's a, a writer uh, who's gone to be with the Lord. His name is Dallas Willard, and I really like the way he says it. 
but it can muddy the waters a bit. So I'm going to explain it as we go to try to flesh this out with what Paul is getting at. So Dallas writes, we must stop using the fact that we cannot earn grace. So this is what we talked about last week. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can't earn the grace that God gives us. He provides that as a free gift. This is the foundation of Christian faith. So we cannot earn it. So we can't We need to stop using the fact that we cannot earn grace. And now he's going to break out a couple of 99-cent theological words for us. We can't use this as an excuse as it pertains to justification. The first one, justification, this means essentially getting saved, right? This is being declared righteous. If you want to think of a court of law, being declared not guilty. That's what justification very simply means. So we should stop using the fact that we cannot earn grace as it pertains to justification, Or, here's the second one, ready? Gird up your loins. Sanctification. Sanctification essentially is the idea of getting from justification to heaven. This is the process where God is going to continue to work on us, to take us to be uh, and mold us more into his likeness, make us more holy. So we, we don't earn grace as it pertains to either things. God does that for us freely. We cannot use it as an excuse for not energetically seeking to receive grace. What do you mean? Having been found by God, we then become seekers of ever fuller life in him. See, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. It's opposed to earning, but not effort. The realities of Christian spiritual formation are that we will not be transformed into God's likeness by more information, by more infusions, by more inspirations or ministrations alone. Though all of these have an important place, they never suffice, and reliance upon them alone explains the now common failure of committed Christians to rise much above a certain level of decency. What's he saying? In other words, there's no such thing as, this is who I am, and I don't have to change. God loves us as we are, but too much to let us stay that way. Okay? So, what this, at the end of the day, is all about, if you want to break it down to one word, what Paul's talking about is perseverance. It's about perseverance, and it involves both pressing on towards death, right, pushing on towards the end of this life as we know it, as well as seeking to know Jesus deeper as we go. Why would we want to do that? Why not, right? Why wouldn't we want to know our Lord and Savior better? Because the closer that we come to Jesus, the more time that we spend with Jesus, the more we're going to start to become like Jesus. You ever notice that? You start to, to, to reflect the people that you hang around a lot, that you spend, around, spend a lot of time around. It's the same when we hang out with Jesus. See, ever since Paul was possessed, right? He uses this possession word, apprehended or whatever, by, and known by Jesus, he's desired then to possess and to know Jesus for himself. But to know the incomprehensible greatness of Jesus, it demands a lifetime of difficult study. As one commentator notes, Paul's desire to gain Christ and be found in him. So when we think about these things, like at the beginning of verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. So what's he, what's he talking about? Uh, in he, Paul's desire to gain Christ, we talked about it last week in verses 8 and 9, is to be found in Jesus and to know Jesus in verse 10. This engages him in an intimate relationship with Christ that's a dynamic process of intellectual apprehension and moral transformation. 
This is God taking people and making them better at life. Why would we want to be better at life? Well, so we can please God, right? So we can do things that please him. Not to Remember, this isn't about earning our way into heaven. This is about showing the reality in our lives. So it's not about earning it. But we also do it so we can bless and love other people. When Sarah and I first started dating, I didn't just get her, right? It wasn't like I, I, we meet, say hello, and I just completely understand everything that she's all about. Every time that we enter into a new relationship with anybody, uh, whether romantic or friendship, it, we enter into a, dis, uh, a journey of discovery. And we start to get to know people that really, quite frankly, never ends. Tim Keller talks about that in The Meaning of Marriage, that we never stop, or we should never stop, seeking to know the person that we're with because it's a journey. We're going to continue to do that. And after Sarah and I got married, I still didn't truly know her. And even now, she's capable of doing something that surprises me. Why? Because she's a person, right? And, and people are dynamic. We have personalities, and we change as life goes on. And see, Jesus is a person too, but he's also God, and he's the seat, the foundation for all that exists. God created the universe through Jesus, or with Jesus. It sounds weird because it's, Jesus is God too, but I'm not going to muddy the waters with the Trinity right now, but we're just going to stay there. But beyond that, Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is where we come into right relationship with God. So him plus nothing does equal everything as far as our salvation is concerned. It's being joined with him in eternity in loving relationship. So if we put our faith in him, our trust in him, then that's the trajectory we're on. If we love Jesus, that's the road that we find ourselves on. That's the race, as it were, what Paul's trying to get at. That's the direction towards that sort of finish line. But we need to be thinking about what that finish line is and what's expected on the way there. In the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan, there's a, uh, a scene towards the end where uh, the captain of the team that was sent out to save Private Ryan, he's having a conversation with Private Ryan. He's been shot, and, and it's really this hectic scene. There's tanks rolling around and planes going overhead, and it's really crazy. And uh, Private Ryan is, is talking to him, and, and they're having a moment uh, together. It looks like Private Ryan has indeed been saved at this point, and it's important to note that he didn't do it of his own ability. If, if these men, this team, hadn't come to save him, he would have most certainly be dead. But the captain, as they're talking, has two words for him, and those two words are, earn this. And I really wish he would have said effort this, because it would have fit more nicely with what I'm talking about, but the idea behind it is exactly the same, because he's not saying Private Ryan go back in time and earn this team to come and save you of not your own merit. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, from this moment on, be acting and living your life with a sense of gratitude that shows you understand exactly what occurred in your life, that you were able or that you were saved despite your own self, that these people came and did this. Show the world the gratitude and the giving back that you would expect someone to show who's been given everything, though he deserved nothing. See, Paul is saying that he himself, he still has work to do in his own life. But he's also calling the Philippian church to a higher standard too. He's asked them previously in the letter to work out what God's already worked in. 
right? And he's also said that to die, that is gain. So what does that mean? That means that to die, that's the finish line. Not getting saved. So this is the, the problem, I think, sometimes when we think of our, our salvation, is we think that that's the finish line, wherein, in fact, it's, it's not. It's, if anything, it's the starting point. So verse 13, Paul says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. See, this verse is, is multifaceted because it can be kind of confusing. I'm going to just say first what it's not talking about, and then second what it is talking about. So what it's not saying is that we should take all of the, the garbage, all the things we've done in the past, all the poor ways that we've treated people, all the sins we've committed, and just sweep them under the rug. It's not what he's, Paul is saying at all. Right? Like, maybe you've heard this song, I'm forgiven because he was forsaken. So I don't have to own up for my actions, right? Saying no one ever, right? That's not, it's not a song because it, this isn't Christian truth. This isn't biblical truth. If we mess up, yes, it's covered by Jesus' sacrifice, but a forgiven person seeks reconciliation. A forgiven person seeks peace. A, a forgiven person seeks to make things right. And there's just a, an amazing story uh, in the Bible where Jesus... Uh, this woman comes in and Jesus is with his disciples and she is so broken up over all the things that she's done that she takes perfume and puts it all over Jesus and then she starts kissing his feet, washing his feet with her tears and kissing them and her hair and all this stuff. And these, everyone else is like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why are you letting her do that? Like, should we get rid of her? And like, that perfume, we could serve the poor and, and all this stuff. And Jesus is like, you guys just don't get it. You don't get it because people who have been forgiven a lot, they love a lot. They, they understand what has been done for them and so they react. They live out of that. So, so like, if I ever in my life see myself being unloving or thinking unloving thoughts, I ask myself, well, do I realize how much I've been forgiven, how much grace I've been given? And now am I living out of that? Am I showing grace out of that? Sometimes I get so busy patting myself on the back. Remember the mountain? That I, uh, I get... Okay, wait, wait, wait. I just got ahead of myself. Okay, yeah, so this, what this verse isn't about is just ignoring our possibilities. So what this verse is saying, though, is that Paul has a lot of good things, or he's done a lot of good things. He's got some merit under his belt. He's, he's saying, I could be looking back at what I've done, and I could get pretty excited about it. I, I could potentially have some bragging rights. He's gone a long way from being religious, legalist, terrorist, to hardcore church planter. But if he himself looks back and congratulates himself, he's going to be forgetting about what lies ahead. So it was like me and the mountain. I got really busy patting myself on the back, and I didn't realize that I wasn't done. I forget, or I forgot that I'm not done until I'm done. Or I have a, a little clip here of this runner from the University of Oregon that illustrates this pretty well. Take my word for it. 
You see, he's... <laughs> See, he, he thought it, he had it in the bag. He, he, he thought he was done and he was going to win. And that he could take his foot off the pedal. See, Paul is saying that if we follow Jesus, we, we need to follow Jesus because Jesus is still going. Jesus isn't, he's not taking his foot off the pedal. He's not taking a break. He gave us marching orders for a reason. He said, go. He said, make disciples. And in the greatest commandment, he said, love other people as I have loved you. Not as how you, you think you should be loved or, or, or anything like that. It's how I have loved you. And it's, it's hard work, but man, the reward. So Paul says, Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Is there, is there a greater prize than we could look forward to than what God has in store for us? So Paul then continues and says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. So the inference is that if, if someone doesn't agree, he says, if you disagree on this point, I believe God will make it plain to you. <laughs> he's being pretty, pretty on the nose. But to him, he's like, it should be this obvious for us, that this is how we should be acting. He says, we must hold on to the progress we've already made. In other words, build on the foundation that's already been laid. See, God, he's been working at the beginning of the letter, verse 6. He talked about that God is faithful to continue to complete the work that he started in us. And when's he going to complete that? When Jesus comes back, right? The finish line. That's when we can expect that to finish. But what does it look like, though? Verse 17, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. I love this. See, one of the greatest things we can have in our lives is a good and godly mentor. I mean, it would be great if we had multiple but if we have none, we should at least be sure shooting for one. We should start with one. Because we're going to have the hardest time visualizing what an invisible God would like us to do to be able to see it and to be able to model our lives after it. We're going to have the hardest time doing that if we don't have people in our lives that we can model our life after. And I know the spiritual thing to say is like, well, I have the Holy Spirit and I have the Bible. So that should be enough. But guess what? Paul had the Holy Spirit and the Bible. And his advice is what? Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Elsewhere, he, he says it like this, follow after me as I follow after Jesus. So the idea is to find someone that models their life as best they can. So, so my advice is always, and this is what I do if, if we're not, if someone isn't already uh, in, a, in a mentor-mentee relationship, is finding somebody that's not perfect, because nobody's perfect, but is trying, but is doing their best to, to model their life after Jesus, and then spend significant time with them. Find someone that's pressing forward, learn from them. See, when I first became a believer, I had the benefit of, of many mentors. It was really cool. 
Uh, but none of them was more dear to me than my friend Andy, who really took a lot of time, spent, uh, set aside time uh, at least once a week, but often more, to hang out with me and to answer my dumb questions and to uh, help give me opportunities to fail and help me see in areas where I goofed up. But through it all, I started to actually have some successes and I started to grow. And I'm, I'm still far from perfect and I know that's like shocking for, for you to, uh, to grasp. But largely because of Andy's mentorship and his friendship, I have grown from someone who is literally eating out of dumpsters a decade ago with the emotional maturity of like an eight-year-old into someone who now dines on wonderful meals made by my beautiful and, and awesome wife and with the mental or emotional maturity of like a 16-year-old or, or, or something like that. <laughs> Woohoo! right? Progress though, friends, progress. It's the little things in life. See, I learned to follow others, Andy, but others, as they followed after Jesus. Because if I, if I didn't, if we don't, then there are plenty of other examples that we can learn from. And if we don't think that other people influence our behavior, then we haven't been on Facebook or the YouTube comment section recently because it's pretty incredible how our Behavior can be influenced by watching other people. And Paul says it, verse 18. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Like, he is broken up about this. Tears in my eyes that there are many of those whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. So just like there are good examples that we can look to, there's also bad ones that can lead us astray. I think I've, I've talked to you guys before that I'm, I'm sort of an out-of-the-closet knife licker, right? I'm supposed to be recovering, but it's just, it's kind of hard. I, I lick my knife in public, and, and Sarah doesn't like it. And I'm supposed to not like it either, but I just, if it's there, I don't want to waste it. Anyway, I don't need to talk about that. But anyway, so the other day, Sarah's having lunch with Caddy, and he's got his little, his little guy utensils, and one of them's like an actual metal butter knife with like serrated edge and whatever, and he's got something on it, and he looks at it, and then he licks it. And Sarah's like, no, 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 Cadman, we don't, we don't lick our knife, because you, know, you could cut your tongue as if that's the real reason, safety. It's all about like appearances. Like, Okay, fine, safety, I guess, a little bit, but, but evidently I'm raising a little knife licker, right? Like he's, because he, he looks at her after she says, don't do it, and he goes, like daddy? <laughs> oh, my little knife licker. But see, see, evidently that's not a good thing. See, bad influences abound in this life. We are all around, sometimes even in our own homes, but Paul's list, honestly, though, it sounds like he's, the list of what he talks about, it sounds like he's scrolling through social media posts, doesn't it? Like, their God is their appetite, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Not all posts, but there's a lot in there. See, this is what happens when we take our eyes off the prize, when we take our eyes off the finish line. When I was two years into my journey, this is embarrassing, but I started to look back at where I came from. 
I, I was this recovery rock star because it's really hard to get from hardcore crackhead on the street eating out of dumpsters to two years clean. It's really tough. And so after two years, you know, I was doing great. And people were inviting me to their, their places to go do speaking gigs and all this stuff, right? And, you know, I'd made it as far as I was concerned. And I got so busy looking at all the things I accomplished that I took my eyes off what I was supposed to be doing and, and I fell. I relapsed for six days and they were the worst, best six days of my life because it helped kick me back into gear. But nevertheless, I'd become more concerned with getting what I wanted than what others wanted, including God. It became all about me. Or recently, I don't know if, if uh, anybody reads about the marathon world, marathon communities. There's been a couple of deaths uh, recently, uh, people who in their lifetime got accused of they, they had the same, they're famous for the, same two, for the same thing. They cheated on marathons. The guy evidently had cheated on a number of them. He would start the race and then somehow get himself off the course and then I think take a taxi. I'm not joking, and then, and then get back on and then finish. And then, so he, he got busted recently, and then this other woman, very famously in the Boston Marathon, somehow managed to get onto the, the course with like a mile left to go, and then crossed the line and won. And everyone's like, no you didn't. Like, we're marathon runners, we know what it's, you know what I mean? But, but what they were wanting was all of the accolades, all of the benefits, with, with none of the work. They, didn't wanna, they wanted to win without actually running the race. Elsewhere, Paul talks about receiving the grace of God in vain. It's in 2 Corinthians. And so sometimes we, like these marathon runners, we can, we can receive a certain amount of grace in life, like the ability to run the race. But we can receive that grace in vain. So Paul's pointing out, sadly, that there's people who may even be in the church who have receive God's grace who are not interested in following Lord Jesus, but rather getting what they want. Because, like friends, it's, what he's not saying is that it's bad to think about stuff here on earth. I mean, we would never know where Jesus wants us if we didn't think about stuff here on earth. That's why the word only is in there. Paul's saying that they only think about themselves and about their earthly existence. And again, remember, this isn't about salvation, it's everything about perseverance and doing what is right. It's not about earning God's favor. It's everything about working out what God has already worked in, showing who our Lord is. And Paul confirms that in verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven. That's where our citizenship lies if we have chosen to follow after Jesus, if he is our Lord. And that's, in fact, where the Lord Jesus lives. We're eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Wow. See, friends, if we put our faith in Jesus to restore the image of God that we were created with, then we're going to win the race. It's a foregone conclusion, but we have to run it. There's no cheating it. Because too much is at stake, not only for ourselves, for our own, remember, sanctification, our own process, our journey, faith journey, our own holiness, but too much is at stake for other people. 
As long as there's breath, we run for the sake of others. This glorifies God. So this is what it looks like to keep going, or some ways of looking at it. Not looking at how we make our lives better, but how we can impact other lives. Setting aside time like people did this week to run themselves ragged with a bunch of awesome campers who wanted nothing more than to be played with and shown love. Helping people see who they are, created in the image of God, worthy of being treated with respect, having infinite value. It's really that simple. Is it hard? Yes. Is it tiring? Double yes, right? I think my eyes tell that story. Are we going to make mistakes? Yeah, all the time. Are we going to need to have grace for others who are also not perfect and make mistakes? Yes. See, community is messy, and because we have these weak mortal bodies that have corruptible, immortal souls, but we strive to strengthen the grace so we can show it to others, to encourage others, to be able to dig deep during the tough times so that we can not slip up and do something that we regret. And Paul finishes with this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. So you see that? Paul, Paul cares for their sake. He loves them dearly and he wants them to stay true through running the race well, finishing well. Their actions are, are going to actually reflect on him and the work that he's done in their lives. So he's saying, honor God first, but also honor me. Your hearts are free. Have the courage to follow them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have this unbelievable gift of life that you have taken the image that you created us in. And now if we have chosen to put our faith in you and to follow after you, you're repairing that image day by day as we seek to follow you ultimately. Lord, we ask that you give us people, provide us with uh, lovely people in our lives that we can look to as examples of you. And then, Lord, help us be those people for others. See, help us remember that everything that we receive is not to be clung to, like Jesus clung to his divinity, but help us see that it's to be then given away and used for other people's opportunity to come to know you, the one and true, awesome God. Lord, we are in a race, and we can't do this without you. Help us run well. Help us love others as you have first loved us. We pray in your name. Amen.